everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 52, Stuff and Things, recorded May 13, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And uh, yes, Seth, there would be reason to be excited about our 52nd episode if we had done an episode a week. Then it would, in fact, be uh, our one-year anniversary. But we're actually like a year and eight weeks in or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It was bi-weekly for a while. And just for those that are listening to this and not reading it, stuffing things is stuff and things, not stuffing things. We're not going to be putting (laughs) things into other things during this episode. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, we this we're making is, packets. People are uh, stuffing everyday data into packets. That's so, what we're doing. Yeah. Now we uh, actually in five weeks that will be the one year anniversary of this group of people because we the Almost. episode five is when we revamped with the new new lineup. Yep. Yes. So we, you know, they're they're sort of near. We're hovering around in low Earth orbit around some. Uh, some, some uh, arbitrary yes mark. benchmarks of sorts <laughs> mark it's the internet age nobody wants 100 percent truth come on <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough it's good enough that's uh, what wikipedia it's like is our all flagship about. show the taiwan tech we're coming up in two weeks on episode 100 but it's actually like our 112th episode it's just the one numbered 100 so that's where we're choosing to throw down the gauntlet yeah. uh, one mil orca is coming up on coming up on 50 and so uh, I'm trying to decide if I want to do 50 as a kind of a hallmark or 52 because 52 will be one year because we've done one a week every right. week for the entire year. But 50 is such a round number, you know, that that'd be a fun one to do. So I don't know. Or we could just quit the show this week and never get there, which is what most podcasts do. Yeah. So, well, or, you know, like L is 50 in Roman numerals. So you could do like a loser for one meal, one workout kind of biggest loser. But Aaron's thing. already the biggest loser. We are. We know uh, that. Yeah. I, so, but you know, that would be a tie-in. One of my favorite comics. Um, since we're totally off every subject that we oh, yeah, have, we we haven't even started on a subject. I did the this is under the category of things. That's as far as we got. Things. This is under things. One of my favorite comics. Well, this is a comic actually segues way into our first warm-up item called Sigil, which was a uh, uh, one of the cross-gen comics, which was an independent comic from the '90s. And they did uh, this. This billionaire went out and hired a bunch of comic writers and artists and gave them a studio and and. Uh, benefits and all this stuff a totally different model because all most all that other stuff is freelance you know you just work and get paid when you when you work we actually created a staff created this whole new universe of comics and it lasted about 42 episodes all the uh, 42 issues all all of them did they all started and ended about the same time well the big story arc it'd be like you know seven episodes seven seasons of lost or however many there were and the next to the last episode the season finale the two-parter season finale the week before they go coming up next week the two-part season finale and then next week they say, sorry, we ran out of money and didn't make that finale. That's exactly what happened with this comic. I've got Ouch. actually, I've got the number one issue hanging right here on the wall. Actually, I've got number 14 on the wall. And, uh, but luckily the art, the writer actually published the script on the web. So you could read what happened if you were an utter geek and needed to know what happened, which of course I did. Uh, but it was on the old, it was on the old message board that has long since become defunct. I didn't save a copy of it. So I really don't, I don't remember what happened, but. In my mind, the heroes won. That's all I know. There you go. The good guys win. The bad guys lose. Yeah. That's how it always works. But the bad like, guys you never really yes. lose because you need to be able to bring them back later. Yeah. What, what's the funny, Gotta the funny get part more bad guys. I picked up like four or five issues out of a 25-cent box one day and started reading them and thought, man, these things are really good. So then went back and started picking up. And they, were, they were cheap, you know, two bucks for the expensive ones. Issue one through 42, and I, I found all the issues that were out there, and I bought them all. And then I started reading them from the front because I like to do that. 
And I didn't know that the last issue wasn't published. <laughs> and I finished 42 and I was like, oh crap, what am I going to do? You know, this is 15 years old. There's, there's no number 43. Uh, and luckily I got a line and searched and sure enough, found out that the guy had posted the, uh, the, the uh, script for issue 43. I think it was 43. And I'm sure if you searched it again, maybe in the internet archive, you could find it. Yeah. Use the Wayback Engine. So uh, yeah, we have a, a very important uh, philosophical discussion for our times today. In this, in this world of uh, globally de depressed economies and, and people having trouble. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention who you guys are. I should probably do that. Because people <laughs> sure, who are just really? listening for the first time and haven't listened to the last 50-whatever episodes, 47 episodes, won't know who you are. So my name is Mark Cockrell. Hi, everybody. And with me this week, hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. I have uh, Mr. Aaron Butler, the former fat guy slash noob in residence. Hi, Aaron. Hello. And Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hi, Chris. Hello, everyone. And as always, or as usual, as or a good percentage of the time, uh, the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hi, Seth. Hey, Mark. Hello, world. <laughs> Hello world. Is that your fir your first program right here on Everyday Linux? <laughs> yes, I have done that lesson dozens of times. <laughs> yes. Uh I was actually looking at uh getting into uh Android programming because I need an app for this network and I can't find anybody who will do one that's good that won't charge me like 800 bucks an hour. Literally 800 bucks an hour was one of the the quotes uh, prices I was quoted. Um so I'm in the wrong yeah, line of work. I'm totally in the wrong line of work. So I was, write I, their was, own checks, so. I was looking at, uh, into that. And, and of course I did the, the, there was a script online for the classic hello world. And I thought, you know, I have no time for this. When would I put this in? Like between 5 AM and 5 15 AM every third Thursday is when I'd be able sure. to work on this. So well, we could do a like podcast, uh, programming in Android. <laughs> Anyway, back to the uh, deep philosophical important question at hand, and that is how much damage would how much would how much would be the cost? What would be the cost of the Avengers damage to New York City in real life? That's an important question. Yeah, Firing minds want to know. Well, I, I type my yeah. answer in the show notes because I wanted to make sure I was clear about it. And you can't put a price tag on preventing the world from being taken over by an evil demigod dictator. You just can't. There is no price tag. But with the hypermedia involvement of today, Aaron, anything is possible. So, yes, you can. <laughs> well, you can put a price tag on it. It would just be silly as opposed to the Avengers movie, which was not silly at all. They, they make mention of that in the, in the show, right, at the end, don't they? Or which, am which, I thinking uh, of something else? They did do that. There was uh, like a few newspaper articles or something where they were talking about that. <clears throat> Well, they, they, uh, they I think they talk about that in about that. in relation to the Hulk. Whenever he did, when he damaged the city the first time, last time I hulked out, I took out you know I took out part of Greater Manhattan, that kind of thing. I think Mark Ruffalo might say a line like that. I was thinking there was yeah, something made, else, something more detailed. Maybe it's uh, I don't know. Maybe I was just reading something else. Um, but yeah, it would uh, does it, well. The Avengers do in fact do damage. The Hulk specifically does damage. Thor, you know, pretty much rips up that building there with his lightning. Yeah. Um, so it's you can't just say that only the aliens did damage on that one. Yeah. Right. And they uh, this article says that by the time you factor in not only the damage but the cleanup, it would be in the neighborhood of $160 billion. 
So Talk even Apple could not economy. pay for it if they paid cash. So then you get one of those things like the in The Incredibles where there's a lawsuit against superheroes and it's time for their secret identities become their only identities. And we start pushing the people uh, back into hiding. Um, yeah, I could see that happening lawsuits for for tony stark or whatever of course he could he could write a check for 160 billion you know out of yeah. petty cash well, i think that i think that they're overestimating the cost there you know it's just the avenger haters that are out there just like it always is <laughs> avenger haters <laughs> well see now they're saying the damage from the actual invasion was only 60 to 70 billion it was the cleanup that was going to be the real expensive part so you just used your alien know, slave force <laughs> <laughs> Once you've defeated them, but they were all back on the other side of the portal. Hey, if you haven't seen the movie, total spoilers here. We're ruining Uh, it for you. Thanks. And then in the end, the Incredibles come in and, uh, I am the underminer. All right. Yeah. And then the justice league showed up, uh, moving right along. Uh, an interesting thing I saw, uh, actually I saw this posted from Matt Cutts, who's an employee at Google. Uh, on Google Plus this week, and uh, Seth, I don't know where you got it, but uh, it was a, an interesting on UbuntuVibes.com that uh, a developer talks about a custom spin of Ubuntu that Google uses called Gubuntu. Uh, and basically, it's, it's stock um, LTS, the 12.04 and, and what are the, the long-term support versions, with a few developer-centric stuff on it. But one of the lines that I thought was interesting was, Google employees don't like... Um, the modifications that are being made to the UI. They don't like uh, uh, GNOME 3 and Unity, uh, and they're like wanting to rip it out and use KDE or even uh, Xmonad. Uh, so I just thought that was interesting. You know, we've, we've whined about that, and the geeks over at Google agree with us on that one. Well, at least we fit with them. Yeah. But yeah, I think I got it from uh, Softpedia or somewhere I saw the link and pulled it up. So that that's where I came across the article. Uh, it, there's really nothing more to it than that. Uh, I know that uh, Google is a, a windows free shop. Uh, I heard that somewhere uh, and confirmed it a couple places. When a new employee there gets two choices, they can have uh, Linux or they can have a MacBook, but you don't get the option of having a windows computer on your desk. There's nothing wrong Which with that. Which is kind of cool. Well, except that they build software for Windows. So somebody out there has to have a Windows box. But their rank and file employees uh, don't don't get it. Don't get the option. Yeah, I know there is some Windows in Google because there have been uh, Google Windows support jobs open that uh, I applied for but never heard back. So, uh, But uh, I know there are some out there. I wonder if they're virtualized, though. So I bet you that might be how they do it then. I don't know. So if you're from Google and you want to tell us, give us a shot. Yeah, jump on the show. We'd love to have you. I'm sure we have dozens of Google employees listening to this show. But uh, I <laughs> love the, the name of, it, of Gubuntu. Uh, and yeah, there were, I like it, too. There were some... I mean, come on. It goes, well, I'm the gooey kid, Gubuntu. Right. It's just, it fits. There was some <laughs> uh, speculation that they might be going to market their own spin of it but uh both shuttleworth and ubuntu uh, and google say no that's not going to be the case uh and it does say that uh the google people's uh kick back some code revisions and patches now and then so it's nice to know that uh the big g is contributing to linux 
Literally. Yes. No, they're supposed to. <laughs> Yay. Way to be a good neighbor, Google. And I didn't tell you what the topic was about, stuff and things. So let me just tell you how that went. This week, I kind of sat back and I said, my, said to myself, I'm not going to give these guys a topic. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to put it out there. Here's the notes. Guys, what do you think? Because usually what happens is I, I poke and prod, and then I end up giving them a topic or coming up with, with what we say. Not always, but it's probably better than 60% of the time. Wouldn't you agree with that, guys? Yeah, I would yeah. say that. Yeah. yeah. So this time I said- to 72%. Yeah. So this time I said, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do anything. So here it is, 8 p.m. Sunday night, time to do a show. We still got nothing. We got a few articles submitted. We got no topic. So that's what we're going with. We're calling this Stuff and Things because it's just sort of a hodgepodge, and we already did the hodgepodge thing, and I didn't want to go back and look and see which number we were on and stuff. So uh, I was totally lazy. It was Mother's Day. I was I was tending to my wife and my mom and my sister-in-law. I was, I was, I was being subservient to the mothers in my family. But anyway, well, that's why this Google. is called <clears throat> Exmo, uh, Stuff and Things. So tune in next week for Stuff and Things, the sequel. Well, my point <laughs> here is, is guys who are listening, and girls, the two of you out there, who are listening, give us show topics, but not Please. super geeky show topics. They need to be topics that are general, generally accessible. Can the Nubin residents handle these topics? Can the gooey kid speak on these topics? We've had things saying, like, you know, I, I really want to know more about um, how to rip you know, a uh, processor apart and reverse engineer it and build my own processor. And that would be awesome. But no. Um, so in <laughs> well, those type of shows, though, don't really work for our thing. We could it would be hard to talk about it because we're a, a an audio cast. Now, if, if we were a video cast and had a billion dollar studio that we could do, you know, zooms and sweeps and pictures and we were all in the same place, it'd be a different story. So, but we have had a lot of requests for some more detailed how-tos. Almost everything we've done in the past have been just uh, uh, glossy, high-level looks, and we might do some of those. Some, uh, like we talked about, for example, uh, uh, the Boris Box episode. But we just talked yeah. about some of the options out there. We didn't talk about how to do one, and we might do that. But again, that sort of stuff really gets lost in translation and audio, and I don't think it's our forte. Uh, so that's why we haven't been. We're not ignoring you. Just, just yes. so you know, we're getting your request. We're just looking for something a little more general and a little more uh, easily accessible to the, you know, the non-geek out there, the non-Uber geek. Everybody who listens is a geek in some way or another. Well, the, the truth is, and most- also would play it too for an audio cast and not something that would cross over into that video line. And, and most how-to things end up being a step-by-step, and for a step-by-step, you usually want the text of it. Uh, as opposed to somebody just telling it to you. It's not going to be something you can listen to while you're on the treadmill and then go back and do, which or right. while you're driving down the road or that kind of thing. So, Well, you could, but that would be tough. It would be scary. <laughs> now, Man Aaron, killed you, today while attempting to, to rub his blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> Aaron, you wanted to say before we left Google entirely? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though the first news article is Google too. But um, I installed Google Drive today and actually signed up for the lowest pay package of two forty nine a month. I figured less than ten cents a day I could afford that. My Dropbox just wasn't enough room, and I've got I've got three machines at the house here, uh, plus my phone. And I've been using Dropbox, and I love Dropbox, and it works great. But I already use so many Google things. I thought this would just be a nice way to kind of integrate it. And I assume they're going to be doing more integration. They already I mean, they already have 
with Android. There is a, a Google Drive app for Android that replaces a Google Docs app. So I've done it, and currently all my stuff is in the process of syncing. Mostly, I wanted to be to be honest with you, is use it for uh, backup for photos. You know, we have, you know, probably at this by this time we have since I think some of the oldest pictures we have that are digital are 03, so almost 10 years worth of fa family photos, hundreds of photos of our child wow. as they've grown up and that kind of thing. And you know, uh, they they were on an, an e machine laptop. Ooh. That was where they were. Uh, Playing I, with danger. I had had backed them up over to my other laptop a couple of times, but just keeping all that sync, I didn't have enough room in my Dropbox to keep them on the Dropbox. And so I figured this way, I got one simple solution. You know, Google's the name you can trust. Uh, uh, this I'm looking here at my desktop. My desktop's already synced and it's complete. So I've got a copy of all my photos now on this desktop plus the one on the cloud. And um, so I was happy about it. So just my point is, if you've seen the Google Drive news out there and you're interested in um, playing with it or trying it out, works great, seems to work quickly and easily, installs in about 30 seconds. Um, I will say this, though. It totally it takes over your documents, and at least for me, I'm having to reorganize the way I view my documents and things because it supplanted my old Google Docs setup that I had. With and that doesn't Google matter Docs. whether you pay for it or not. That's going to happen. Drive is coming to everybody and yeah. replacing docs. That's a universal thing. And yeah, it's, everything's there, but it's sorted weird. And like to get your folders, you have to take your folders and drag them into your drive. You can't just look at your folders anymore like you used to. It's yeah. bizarre. And it's it's another a perfect example of Google having no idea how to do user interface. And it's because they're all using Xmonad. They don't know anything about user interface. They like, uh -huh. they like you know, command lines and nothing else. Kevin, whatever in the chat room asks, is Google Drive multi-user uh, you can share docs and things out of it just like any other doc, uh, you know, any other Google doc. So it, it does have the interactive multi-user capability, but it is based on a single Google email, Google account login. So like, But it's easier to sign out of one and into another than any other service I've ever used. That is true. Um, and you can actually, at least with Gmail, you can you can have access to multiple accounts. I haven't tried that with Google Drive because I only have one. I only need one that keeps it all in one place for my whole family. So. But uh, it's when you when you actually go in and set it up, it says you're setting up Google Drive for this email account. So it's associated with this particular Google account. Yeah, it, it works a lot like Dropbox. It really is very very similar. It has the same little you know recycle you know syncing wheel that everything in the world's had since uh, the first PDAs came out. What were those That's things called? Palm. <laughs> palm before Palm. The, the, not before Palm, but at the same time as Palm. What was the other one? Maybe it's Palm is the only thing I'm thinking of. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> yeah, next year they're going to release the name they originally wanted to call it, the Borg app. Done, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> done. And for the, anyway, so. for the first time ever this week, Google showed preferential treatment for iPhone over Android in their new Google Plus app. Yeah. Yes. They, um, and, you know, and you could look at it as one... I don't know. Maybe they want to get the kinks worked out because a there might there's the rumors that there's going to be something in the Android app that isn't in the iPhone app. So maybe they're using their iPhone as a beta. But yes, they released the new version of Google Plus for just iPhone, and the Android users are going to have to wait a couple of weeks, according to the company's senior vice president. And I'm not really sure what features the iPhone app has right now that Google, that the Android version doesn't. Can somebody tell me that? Uh, it's just basically a new user interface. Oh, good, because uh, they're so really, good at that. 
I'm really yeah. looking forward to that. There's not much in terms of functionality. It just it uh, you know, like larger photos and sleeker animations is uh, according to the news article. It also hinted that the Google, the Android version, would have a few quote unquote a few surprises, so a few additional features. Now, Mark, the other day we had you had thrown a hangout out there um, for before I think it was periodic table podcast, and I just hadn't had my phone right there and got the message that the hangout was already up. And I pulled up and jumped on the Hangout with my phone, and it actually worked great. It came up in just a few seconds, and my video looked really good with my little front-facing camera. I was like, hey, Mark. Mark's like, hello, hey, Aaron. So it was pretty cool. I was impressed. I, didn't even, I, didn't even, I had not even thought about using the Hangout on my phone. I never thought about it until just then. I've hung out from my phone just to see if I could do it. Another new thing that uh, just this week is, is Hangouts on Air is now for everybody. Uh, it's being rolled out. Not everybody. I have it now. I have Hangouts I have on air. But we always use the Hangouts with advanced features, Hangouts with extras, because it gives uh, some little extra thing. And the broadcast isn't there. It's only in the regular Hangout. Uh, but uh, it's it's interesting the way it does it. You uh, can can broadcast it. it, it it'll be post. You, you make a post on your Google Plus page. It embeds it in that. It uploads it immediately to YouTube, assuming you have a YouTube account. If it doesn't, you don't archive your Hangout. Um, and people have asked me, are we going to be doing this for the show? And the answer is no. The audio quality is far inferior to Skype, and there's no way to get multi-channel audio out of it the way I'm doing with Skype. So I don't foresee that being the way we do our shows anytime soon. Uh, you're stuck with the ads on Ustream. Uh, but we do use the Hangouts every week. That's how I'm bringing video to those of you who are watching live. We jump in a Hangout, and I do the switching from there. But if Skype continues to suck worse and worse over time, we might switch. <laughs> yeah, one true. Skype sucks as bad as Google Hangouts. There's no reason to continue to use it. That's a good point. <laughs> Other than the multi-channel. Um, okay, next story. React OS wants to get into the crowdfunding game. React. Yeah, okay. if you're not familiar with React OS, it's they want to build an... Um, an open source kind of equivalent to Windows XP. And so it's called React because they look at how XP does something and try to mimic it, but they want to get like all the programs to work and stuff. And I think they are still in um, alpha mode. So, you know, don't expect a lot now, but they're wanting to ramp up and they're trying to get their fundraising efforts off the ground uh, so that they can move forward. That's interesting because what they're also trying to do is make it binary compatible with Windows. So that main that's going to make things like it's basically going to be Wine, right? So, yeah, so they're they're looking at making a Wine OS essentially. They want for anything that runs on Windows to be able to run on Linux, which is weird. Well, yeah, and it's odd. actually it's not so much Linux; it's just a it's a new OS. It's um, right. you know, it'll be the React OS, and if you have an executable that works on XP, but Microsoft doesn't support XP anymore, um, you can jump, you can install it on React OS, and then get you know crowd based community support. Yeah, so, G Junkin in the chat room says they're trying to make XP for those who don't want to leave XP. Yeah, that's what pretty it looks much, like. yeah. Yeah, if you're uh, people, get over it. Just move to Windows Seven. Seriously, it's going to have to happen eventually if you're going to stay in the Windows world. Either move to Windows Seven or just dump Windows entirely. Don't keep using XP. Yeah, there's there's tons of games and applications that you could do offline with it where you don't have to get on the net. Um, 
I mean, because it's been around for over 10 years. And Retro, yes, it was originally an attempt to make Windows NT, but that's that's how bad their fundraising is. Uh, it's gone from NT to 2000, now it's on XP. So it might be 7 or 8 by the time it's done. So everybody's trying to get on get in on this Kickstarter thing. The the Pebble watch that I think we talked about a few weeks ago, the the watch that connects with the, a Bluetooth device, wanted a hundred thousand and got like seventy million or maybe ten million. It was a whole bunch of money. Uh, and that's a, the yeah, amazing thing there is uh, in Kickstarter, there are no safeguards in place. They can take that money and run perfectly legally. There's no commitment to actually produce the thing. Right. So that's hold on a minute, guys. I'll be back in a few. I'm going right. (laughs) Yeah, we need to we need to start a Kickstarter fund to make Mark a millionaire. That's the that's the fund. That's what we're gonna do. Everybody cause because cause Aaron needs some more money. (laughs) (laughs) Because everyday Linux needs better mics and cameras. There you go. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, if you want video on everyday Linux, I'll have a Kickstarter campaign for that. Uh, hey, moving right along, this that? was one from from uh, uh, last week that we didn't get to. The Vivaldi tablet, the uh, Linux tablet, is, quote, almost ready, and they're changing their specs uh, on the fly. And one of the things is that they're jumping from uh, 512 megs of RAM to a gig of RAM. Oh. And they're not increasing the price. So everyone who has already pre-ordered gets the upgrade for free. So... Oh, just a and quick they, aside, I wanted to say Aaron mentioned Kevin Whatever in the chat room. That wasn't because he couldn't pronounce his last name. That's literally the name that he has, Kevin Whatever. Yeah. Just so you know. I, I wasn't Aaron, being rude. Aaron wasn't being rude. <laughs> uh, not this time. No. Uh, so, yeah, the the React OS, um, excuse me, no, that's a whole different story. The uh, um, Vivaldi tablet is underwhelming to me. I'm just not all that impressed with it. Uh, maybe, maybe I will be more so later but right now it just it's not not that impressive to me so, so mark for those that don't know what the vivaldi tablet is maybe they're listening to this like i said and don't have a computer in front of them what is the vivaldi tablet it is a tablet designed to run linux not android not some derivation but actually linux meaning you could it'll come with its own uh kde based thing but you'd be able to put any linux on it it is it's a it's a it's a pc in a tablet form factor Right. Uh, and it's inexpensive. It's uh, uh, about 250 bucks or so right now, uh, as I understand. So, uh, you know, it's not an expensive tablet. It's, uh, it's a Cortex-A9 ARM processor uh, with, a, with a gig of RAM and a separate GPU. It's a 7-inch tablet, so it's about the size of the uh, Kindle Fire. Uh, but, you know, it just seems like an also-ran to me. The fact that it runs Linux isn't enough to make it cool to me. Right. Uh, you know, I would think maybe, maybe it was the cost, but... When you, when you scale the size down from the iPad size, and I'll use that, I don't know what else you want to call it, the standard full-size tablet. I don't know how you want to refer to that because the first tablets I messed, to, messed with were 14 inches. But um, down to the 7-inch Kindle size, the Nook size, it, it seems more like a, I don't want to say toy, you know, but it moves it from a, right. the feeling of a PC or a real functioning device down to more of a uh, more of a device as opposed to a computer. Uh, Kevin, whatever in the chat room asked me, he throws down the gauntlet. He says, well, what would it take for a tablet to impress you? Uh, well, uh, I want my laptop. I want my uh, quad-core i7 
laptop in a tablet. That would be impressive. You put that in a 10-inch form factor, give me all the same power, yeah, and give me 12-hour battery life, and, and give me no heat. That would impress me, but just taking cell phone parts and putting them in a in a tablet—that's not impressive. Everybody's doing that already. That's already out there. There's a uh, phone that does that, right? There's all sorts <laughs> of phones that do that. I have uh-huh. a couple of them, so right. you know, I want uh, I want my laptop shrunk down into a tablet with a detachable I want my keyboard, laptop and I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you. That's wait about, but I want it now. Seth, wait about three I, or four I, years. I, I, that's what I'm. That's my point. I guess is. I don't want a big phone, you know, that, that I can't call on. <laughs> That's how I would feel if I had this device, probably. Uh, it, it, oh, it does everything my Android phone does except make phone calls. Yeah, and Rateo calls me on it. He says, your laptop can't do all that, right? It doesn't have 12-hour battery life, uh, and it's not thin and light, and it's not 10 inches. But see, that's what would make it impressive. It would be better than everything on the market, every tablet on the market and every PC on the market. Marco would also be impressed by if it was made from a living metal and could form itself around his arm. <laughs> that would be impressive. <laughs> and yes. connect itself to his spinal system and allow him to think his thoughts and have them appear on the screen. He'd the be spice impressed by that as well. Is life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, I'm just not impressed with another also ran tablet. And and the geeks, the hardcore Linux geek, and I guess I'm just not. I'm not the command line godfather. I'm not a hardcore Linux geek. Uh, just the fact that it's running Linux isn't enough to make me run out and buy it. Yeah, don't but also, punch me in there too. You know, <laughs> as as a, a byproduct of my job, I have access to lots of toys. I mean, right now in my house, I have three tablets um, of different manufacturers because you know we're piloting them and we're testing and we're finding out what works. So it, you know, they're not mine. I don't own them, but I get to use them every day. So I'm I'm very nonplussed by the whole tablet market right now because they're all just pieces of glass and they all have the same limitations that anything else does. There's still, I haven't seen one that's anywhere close to as functional or as useful as a laptop. Any of you guys yeah. know off the top of your head what the cost, what percentage of the cost of a tablet like that is the monitor and the video card? I guess my question is, how much more would it cost if you made it to 10 inches instead of seven? Just, same processing power, same specs, same RAM, just had a 10 inch screen instead of a seven inch. What do you think the cost would jump up to? I think 500 bucks. Yeah. And it wouldn't be as powerful because it would be spending more of its processing power producing larger video with more pixels and stuff. So it would definitely feel clunky. And, I, you know, I think as much as people like to, as much as I myself like to badmouth the, the iOS, Apple really got it right in, in designing the OS to seem really speedy. I mean, they front-loaded things, they built in tons of caching, and they made things, it feels really quick, it feels really responsive. It's not any faster, it's it's basically the same processor anybody else has, and I don't think their OS is superior to Android, or to Linux, or to anything else, but they really spend a lot of time in how it presents itself to you. And I haven't seen anything else um, that really comes close to that experience that the iPad gives you. I would love that experience in a much more extensible, you know, Android-based or, or anything else-based uh, system. You know, I know well, Apple, to- Apple has an advantage because they're writing for one specific hardware set only. So they don't have to waste lines of code for 20 different drivers for every conceivable thing. It is this model processor, it is this model video, it is this model RAM, and only that model. So that's an advantage they have, so they don't need as much horsepower because they're not trying to run a bunch of different things. 
Code bloat. What? Code bloat? And that'd be a good name for a rock band. <laughs> Code bloat. Did you ever th see the David Letterman gig where he had two big uh, fuzzy dice with random words on it and he'd come up with like random punk band name and he'd throw it and it'd be like one dice would say monkey and the other one would say stomach and it was like monkey stomach. That's the re the, the punk band name That's of the funny. week. That was a great gag. Yeah. He did it for a while. My, my favorite, again, totally off subject. My favorite rock band talk show gag was whenever uh, Stephen Colbert had the guitar player from the Decemberists come on and do a ripping shredding guitar solo competition with him. And uh, it was so funny because the December's guitar player got up there and just played this ripping solo. Then David Colbert got up to start playing and he faked that he hurt himself. And he's like, oh, no, I've hurt myself. I can't possibly continue the competition. What can I do? I'll, I'll have to get a proxy stand in. Who can I get? How about Peter Steve Frampton? Yeah. <laughs> and the screen opens and it's Peter Frampton. And he, of course, goes crazy and plays an incredible guitar solo. <laughs> it, was, it was a great episode. It ends with them jamming together. It was awesome. Yeah, anything that ends with with them jamming together, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. All right. Next thing, um, Google is burying Firefox with user agent stri strings. Tell me what that's about. User uh, agent string. <laughs> I read this article that this guy was um, he was going to like I don't remember if it was Google Docs or Google Search, but he was trying to do it on his uh, on Firefox. And he was having some issues, so he thought there was a problem with the website. So, but when he went to it in Chrome, he found that everything worked fine the first time. So he went and installed a um, like a user user agent plugin for Firefox, and that where it pretended like it was Chrome, and all of a sudden everything started working right. So he was wondering if Google isn't baking something into Chrome that uh, or doing something on their website that gives preferential treatment to chrome so that you know firefox or even internet explorer is kind of left out in the cold um, and he postulated it more as a question and just reporting his findings um, really didn't so much accuse but i thought it was an interesting story I, I learned a little bit about user agents because i did i'd never really needed to know about them before well, so let's say that they are. And for for those of you who don't know, a user agent, your browser tells a web page what it is. The browser right. will say, I am Firefox 11.7 or whatever they're up to this week. I'm Internet um, Explorer 4.0. Right. Yeah, and it tells you what it is. And you're, uh, you can code your pages to load up different code based on what you see there. And so his assertion is that, uh, I'm cutting it to the core, you know, the Occam's Razor version. If you're Google... If your Chrome work, if you're not, don't work. And uh, so my question is, so what? Let's say they are doing that. Who cares? Why? Why is that a big deal? It's it's their service. Let's say it's Gmail. I, I don't know what he didn't list in the article. What what it was? Did he, Seth? Um, it was uh, it was Google Services, but I don't remember which yeah. one. Uh, so, so so let's say it's Google Gmail. Services. Maybe they know that you get the best experience using Gmail with their browser. And so they want to make it to only work with that. I think that's a bad business decision, but let's say, you know, that aside, why is it a big deal? They, they have that right. They can do that. They provide the service and they provide the ability to access that service by using their browser. Why does that make them big, bad people? Well, Medium you know, in, no, in one sense, it really doesn't. But in another sense, Google used to be, um, it just seems like Google is, you know, everybody hated Microsoft Internet Explorer with all ActiveX because they weren't 
they weren't this writing to the standards they were doing their own thing and what's the point in having standards if you're not going to use them you know oh we're not going to do standards we're going to make sure our websites only run on our browser so well and i agree with that which is why i, th- I say i think it would be a bad business decision yeah cause but you know google used uh, to be browser ag- agnostic but as they keep moving down this path of google docs and everything else they seem to be more and more coding to chrome because like if you go into your your google docs and try to do a drawing program in firefox it don't work so good if you get to work at all yeah and and at the school where i work we have chrome on uh, on all our desktops for that very reason because chrome works better on google services and we're a google company i mean a google school we we use google all over the place yeah um so again i don't I don't really get it. I don't get the whole browser wars thing in general. I don't understand why people made a big deal about the fact that Microsoft bundled a browser with their OS. There's something I'm missing here, some piece of logic that fails to register itself in my brain. Um, You either write to standards or you write your own standards, and the web will decide whether that's a good business decision. Yeah, but but whether it's anti-competitive or whatever, I don't see that argument. See, I know for me personally, I'm a Firefox user and I have forever, um, and that's mainly because the machines I'm running on don't like Chrome. Um, my laptop, in particular, if I try to load up Chrome with all the extra add-ons I have, and mind you, the add-ons are the same in Firefox and in Chrome, I can't use Chrome at all. Um, but Firefox. I don't know if it's the way they hold memory or what, but Firefox can run those those add-ons without even blinking. So I'm curious to find out why my laptop and my desktop at work just can't run Chrome. Well, I personally, I don't like Chrome, and uh, it just I thought we could be friends, Seth. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like the way it looks. It just kind of eh. I um, and to me, it just. I don't understand their point to say, you know, oh, we're going to make sure it doesn't run with Firefox. But if you install this plugin that tells me your Chrome, it works fine. So he and he even pointed out that when he put in the Chrome user agent string, that everything worked perfectly. So it didn't seem like it was any special sauce. It seemed like it was just we don't want Firefox to work. And, you know, you can't have an you can't have an open Internet if you're only allowed this thing to get on i guess and well again i i don't think that i think people have the wrong argument when they do that they, they they choose to get upset about the wrong thing uh they they call it monopolistic or whatever uh and it's not i mean it the anybody can use the service they just it's going to they have to use chrome to do it and and i that doesn't bother me so much again i don't think it's a wise business decision but it's not um, this big thing that makes them evil. Everybody's looking for reasons to call Google evil. Right. You know, nobody complains that you have to use Skype to use Skype. Exactly. <laughs> right. And well, actually, people do complain about that. They want some sort of other compliant, uh, other right. client. But you that know what I'm saying? But, but the yeah. average person doesn't complain about that. Right. Well, and <laughs> the, and the people who do complain about that complain about Google having to use Chrome. Uh, let's go ahead and jump to the next story that's sort of similar to this, and that's uh, Microsoft has sort of come out on record is saying they're not going to let anything but IE run on their Windows on ARM. Uh, so this is 
This is the upcoming version of Windows 8. It's not out yet, but it's going to be their ARM-based, uh, their mobile platform. It's it's not what they're calling Windows Phone right now. They're calling it Windows on ARM. And they've said that we will only allow um, Internet Explorer. We're not going to allow Microsoft, uh, I mean, Firefox or uh, Chrome or anything like that. And people are wigging out and saying that's a big deal. Uh, but I don't get it. Yeah, I mean... You know, taking the flip side on this one, just to be different, it's like they're acting exactly like Apple when Apple said, you're going to use Safari with our iPad and you're going to love it and we're not going to give you a choice about it. So um, Microsoft has said, you're going to use IE on our on our cheap software that we're throwing out there to keep other things from gaining market share and you're going to like it. So, um, so I, you know, I just, you you can... People who say, you know, that's a, uh, it's a bad thing. It's not good. Uh, okay. But it hasn't slowed Apple down. They're still yeah. selling millions of iPads every year. So I don't really see the, the big deal. Um, I don't, well, for, for I don't me, understand why they, the whining. For me personally, it's, it's the fact that they take away your choice. Um, that's why one of the reasons the Apple why, takes away your choice in everything you do. I the know. last choice you ever make is to buy an Apple product, which is when why Microsoft I don't buy Apple. Is, Right, Microsoft is just following in that line. Yeah, and that'd be a great show title. The last choice you ever make is to buy an Apple product. <laughs> that's awesome. See, and that's also why when I when people ask my personal opinion, I tell them the same thing. I don't like being having my choices taken away, which is why I also run Linux. Um, I I like having choice. Um, the second someone takes the choice away from me, I start getting cranky. So, um. That's just the way things are right now for me, but that's my personal opinion, which is also why I probably would not buy something that's Windows 8 ARM because I don't have choice. Yeah, it's like, you know, in, in this but issue... But that's me choosing with my pocketbook, you know. Right, you were going to say, right. Seth? Um, I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. It, I had this uh, vague notion, and it fell apart. And the the open source world is always going to be there. For those of us who, who who want it, there will always be Linux, there will be React OS, there will be something out there, some open source alternative for us. But you also have to recognize that we will always be the margins. We will never be um, uh, the mainstream. And I, I'm okay with that. Me too. But, um, but I never thought I would ever be in the main case scenario. So, you know, everyone has their cross to bear and mine is not to run Apple. <laughs> You know, and I run uh, Android not because I'm a freedom-loving, you know, not because it's based on Linux. I, I I run it because it works well with the stuff I already use. I already use Google Mail and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And I like the fact that I can sideload apps and I can get it from anywhere. I used to like the BlackBerry OS, and I was happy with the BlackBerry OS. And I wouldn't have moved to Android if BlackBerry had been able to keep pace, but they didn't. Yep. You know, comparatively yep. speaking, the, the current BlackBerry OS sucks compared to everything else out there. Now, they, they always have one more right around the corner. They've had one more right around the corner since the, the, the early 40s. Uh, before the company even existed, they had one right around the corner. Um, but that's why I moved from BlackBerry to Android. And the reason I moved from BlackBerry to Android instead of BlackBerry to uh, the iPhone is because I like being able to pick and choose what I put, what I want. I, you know, I like being able to go to their store or just go to any random website and load stuff. And so, yeah, that's why I'm currently in Android. And if BlackBerry gets really good, I may go back to them because uh, there were things about them that I really liked that I think uh, are huge deficiencies in Android right now. 
Uh, so for me, it's the choice is the basis, but you know that falls secondary to user experience. I want a good user experience, and then I want choice. See, it's it's same argument, just different chorus. It takes a lot to impress Mark. <laughs> it takes a lot to impress any of us on this panel. I think I don't think any of us are going to sit back and just take something because someone says to take it. Now. You know, Sean might be a different sort because, you know, he's now an Apple fanboy, so. Uh, <laughs> he made his last choice. And That's he right. Lived with it. I'm I'll tell you the truth. Um, my, I've got a, I've got a, a Samsung Stratosphere Android phone and it, and it works great. And, uh, it's 4G, which is awesome because I'm in an area that has a lot of 4G. Yeah. But if you've got an a 4G signal, man, it rocks. It is. It is incredible. I am so spoiled now. When I have 3G, I'm like, sucking 3G. It's terrible. <laughs> ah, ah, you know, when two years ago, I was like, 3G. Uh, but now 4G, you know, I'm so spoiled by it. But, the, but every once in a while, you know, I'll have to reboot my phone um, or uh, it'll just freak out for some reason. It just, and when I say every once in a while, I'm talking about maybe once a week at the most, if, if that. But, you know, I have friends that have iPhones and a couple of times I've had an instance like that happen and they've said, I've never rebooted my phone, or I've never had that happen. And whether it's true or not, I don't know. But oh, I know I'm, that that uh, you know, typically, and um, Apple writes their stuff to run well. So it is that trade-off of user experience versus flexibility. I and had I, to. I reboot. know that. No, I had, had to reboot, reboot my uh, iPhone once a week because it would oh, lock really? up, and you have to hold that button down until you outlasted its wheel. Until <laughs> Jesus and comes make back, it stop. And then, you know, because sometimes it wasn't 10 seconds. Sometimes it was a minute before it would do anything because it's like, I'm going to wait him out. And I'm like, nope, I got nothing better to do than hold this button down because <laughs> you ain't doing nothing. You're either going to run out of power or you're going to turn off. And <laughs> well, I feel better now because, you know, I, I've been getting that the, the fanboy line that everything works perfectly and they never have a problem with their phones. And maybe, the, maybe I found the two people in the world that that's true for. But the number of things that I like about the Android outweighed the limitations and the things of, of an iPhone that I would, and there's no reason I would ever switch to an iPhone unless it suddenly Android just quit improving and iPhone ran off and left it, you know, which right. I've, I've locked myself in now anyway, cause I bought my Verizon network extender for 250 bucks. <laughs> I guess I can get an iPhone and Verizon now though. So it's not quite as bad. And then, and, and, and you make a good point there. And if, if uh, one company is significantly better, than all the others, we will make that jump and we will probably eat whatever crap sandwich they feed us in order to do it because we all want what's best. We're, we're all spec Nazis and we want the best and the best and the best. And so, you know, if somebody, if, if Apple in their iPhone six or seven, you know, a couple of years out produces something that is just the holy grail of mobile communications, I think we'll just do it. I know I will. I will eat yeah. my words and I will, I will just you know, say, all right, fine. I'm a liar. Everything I said before was BS. I'm now Pay me the 7G. User. Yeah. <laughs> Pass me the 7G. I'm happy. But right. it really is all about the user experience first and then go from there. Uh, while we're talking about mobile stuff, let's jump into, uh, again, something that was sort of a holdover from last week. Uh, Samsung is dom dominating the uh the mobile Ooh, market um, my phone. yeah and and that's that's not surprising really yeah. uh, because they're producing more of them than than other people i think but uh in my personal experience and this is just one guy talking 
I don't like Samsung products. I don't like the phones and the tablets from Samsung I've had. I'm firmly in the HTC camp right now. What do you guys I've think? Had a, I've had an HTC, HTC and I liked it as well. I've actually had an HTC, a Motorola, and a Samsung, all three droids, and all three kind of different. I had the Droid 2 and the Samsung Stratosphere, which are similar phones in form factor and everything. And I actually like my Samsung, the way it feels and functions better than my Droid 2. It feels a little sleeker. Seems to run a little better. Well, the Droid Two is newer. Motorola, right? Yeah. Yes. And then the, I had an I had an underpowered the kind of the stepchild Droid phone for HTC Droid that one. was the Aris. <laughs> and uh, and it, and it was slow and kind of wimpy, but um, yeah, the HTC I think HTC's got the interface down. This the Sense UI is is pretty slick. Yeah, I rebelled against the Sense UI at first, uh, just because I was so used to the stock Android experience that all that's all I'd ever had. But uh, I uh, grew to really like Sense UI. I started out with the Sense UI and then tr- switched to just stock Android um, to try it and then went back to Sense when I, on the Aris. And then, of course, when I moved to Motorola, I didn't have the Sense. To, I didn't have the Sense to buy an HTC <laughs> phone. Actually, they gave it to me as a replacement, so I didn't have a choice. Uh, and now I'm actually running, I don't have my phone in front of me, I can't remember the name of it. I'm running a, a quote-unquote third-party um, front end on my Samsung. It's not a Samsung. It's not a it's not since it's something I downloaded that my friend Joshua pointed me out to, and it works great. It's got lots of functionality and features. Um, but anyway. Well, so I, back to this article uh, at hand here real quick. Uh, in quarter one, 2012, uh, 144.9 million smartphones uh, were shipped, Android smartphones. No, that's Sam- total. No, total. Okay. And Samsung... Uh, sold 44.2 million. So right at a third of the market belongs to them, uh, more than Apple even. Yeah, Apple was at 35 and change. And then Nokia came in third with 11, almost 12. And then uh, Symbian, then Research in Motion. And then HTC was all the way in fifth with just under 7 million. So Mark, you're in the minority. Not only did Samsung win, but they smashed everybody but iPhone. Yeah, they smoked them. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And and you know that's uh, their their smartphones, their tablets. And when you release a new phone every week, uh, uh, <clears throat> that's going to happen, I guess. They're they're just killing them with the shotgun approach. We're just going to release. I mean, I hear about a new Samsung phone literally every week. There's a new Samsung phone. Yeah, the, I don't even see Motorola on this list. The forty-two million. There's one million of forty-two different type of phones out there. So. <laughs> that's right jeez do you, do you see sam uh, do you see motorola on the list at all am i missing it in the article um is motorola that far down i think they are yeah wow uh, but motorola is making up for it with quality yeah <clears throat> and their um yeah their droid it didn't really release until the first quarter isn't that right the droid razor thing yeah and and uh the motorola really got the first salvo you know we people often call android phones droids because of that awesome marketing that they did so i think maybe it's just they they left out in front everybody else is catching up and then it's going to be a a racehorse from there that's the way i'm reading the numbers anyway because i hear the the uninformed you know the the great unwashed masses uh talk about you have an iphone or you have a droid yeah and that's that's what they consider the two things out there Motorola spent a lot of money to uh, brand everybody else's phone for them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's yeah. we all make Xerox copies. 
So unless That's you work right. for Xerox. Yeah. While we're sitting in our jacuzzi playing Frisbee. And eating Jello. And blowing wow. our noses on Kleenex. <laughs> yes, we do. That's it. Throw me that Frisbee. All right, we're running a little long here, <laughs> amazingly. Amazingly. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the discussion <laughs> part of the show yet. We're still um, on stuff. We haven't even got to things yet. Yeah. We have, we're, we had, yeah, you're right. This is We're just going to call it stuff and stuff. Uh, so, guys, I'm going to let you pick what we want to talk about next. Do we want to go with Android dominates the worldwide market? Uh, do we want to go with... Uh, well, I already think we covered um, that Android's dominating the worldwide market, so I think we could skip Has that Microsoft one. ruined computer education? Wait, let's, that sounds like a good one. So uh, this is another article. Wrong show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Has Microsoft ruined computer education? I didn't even read this article. I, I think, Seth, you put that in there. Go. Yes. Um, the guy was talking about, uh, this is over on toolbox.com, and he was talking about how there's less and less computer savvy people around. He says a lot of people know how to use a computer, but they really don't know how to make it do what they want it to do. And part of the reason for that he went into is, you know, it's just that Microsoft, their goal is to make stuff easy. You know, for example, um, you know, they don't want you to have to worry about the operating system. They just want that to work so you can make it do whatever you want it to do. And I think a good analogy for the article is like when cars first came out, you had to be a mechanic to drive a car. Now, everybody knows how to use a car, but very few people know how to make a car do what they want it to do. You know, they don't have, you know, people don't pop the hood. They don't even know how to pop the hood. And so that's, he's, he's just kind of making that analogy. Well, I made the analogy, but that's what he's talking about. Is right. That's a common analogy. You hear that all the time. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it does um, speak to the current state of computers. And I think that's just the maturing of the system. And I don't think Microsoft is to blame for that. Uh, Apple is trying to make things as easy as possible. Uh, uh, Ubuntu, uh, I mean, Ubuntu, see, Ubuntu is synonymous with Linux. Linux and open source are trying to do the same thing. It's, it's that, you know, that phrase I coined a while back, the tabletification of the OS. We want everything to be an appliance. We want it to be an opaque box. It's a toaster. It's a, it's a VCR, no user serviceable part, serviceable parts inside. That's what we're moving toward. That's the goal that everybody's pushing to, and then the closer we get to it, the more the the Linux weenies whine about it. Um, you know, it just is what it is. It's what we want. It's what we want to go to. Yeah. I mean, who complains that you can't um, work on your phone? Nobody wants to work on your phone. You know, uh, even even if you've got a smartphone, you know, you might want to tweak the software on it, right? But I'm talking about the landline in your house. How many of you have taken that apart yes. and complained that it was user, that there wasn't anything user serviceable in there? This should be easy. There should be classes on. No, there shouldn't. It's just something. It works, and when it doesn't work, you throw it out. You go to Walmart and you get another one for ten. And that's what we're. Yeah, that's what we're moving toward. Like it or not, that is what we're moving toward. Yeah, a computer. Tech. Man, I'm preachy today. I just you are. I didn't soapbox. even know that I brought my soapbox with me, well, but I did. Somebody put, somebody put preach powder in your milk. <laughs> a computer tech today is a software technician, whereas five, ten years ago, a computer tech was somebody who would swap out components, and ten years before that, a computer tech was somebody with a soldering iron and a oscilloscope, so uh, who would go down to the component level. So, you know, as, as the market changes uh, and stuff gets better and better, you know, hardware failures for good components don't happen near all you can buy crappy hardware but a good component failure rate today i'm sure is probably 
not as bad, has a good component failure rate 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, when I was in high school in the in the mid 80s, I graduated in 90. So let's go back to 1988. I was a sophomore. I had just gotten my first car. Uh, I was learning how to work with them. Back there, most cars still had carburetors. Um, and I did a lot of work on my own car because it was a piece of crap and I had to. Uh, and that's, that's how most of us are with our first computers, right? It's a yeah. piece of crap and you have to work on it. But uh, now... When just the other day, my wife's van, Honda minivan, wasn't working right. And I opened the hood and I was like hoping to see, you know, a giant sea squid there that I could pull out because otherwise there was nothing that I could do anyway. But it still was my manly duty to walk around and open the hood. Right. Um, And that's just where we're moving in the computer world, too. Yeah. When I was in high school, I. we had a fresh teacher, and we had Apple two GSs, and I like um, I reprogrammed like the input language, the output language, and the keyboard. I did like one of those I made Spanish, one I made Portuguese, and the other I made French. And it took her like the rest of the day to figure out what I had done. Now to undo that, it would take like a minute. So, Aaron, you were going to say something. I was I was just going to say that. Um, that I've read a couple of science fiction books whose one of their basic premises was that in this futuristic world, there was a certain amount of technology that's still, still around running it. And, you know, um, the, the people that ran it were almost like priests who did this certain ceremony. They know if they, they turned this knob three times, said this magic chant, you know, shook some holy water over the engine and, and prayed that it would still, it would crank back up and run again, but they didn't have any idea what they were doing. Right. They just read the manual and did the steps, you know, mm-hmm. no understanding of the technology behind it. And that is so true with so many. I mean, I bet you if you were to go, Mark, outside your front door and walk down the street and knock on your neighbor's house and say, how does a radio work to each person in your neighborhood? They would go, well, they broadcast some sound. <laughs> yeah. they, they send some something out of a tower and then it comes in my radio and I can hear it. Yeah, I turn it on, I push preset one, and I listen to country. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's what the average person doesn't. They're so, we've already done this over and over and over and over. Most people don't know how a transistor works. They don't know how a radio works. They don't know how a microwave works. They're lucky if they know how an oven works. Right. I had this conversation just this week with one of my uh, students. I, I, you know, where I work at a school, I, I deal with students and, and we're having this conversation. I said, just anecdotally, you know, no hard science here. How many plumbers do you know? And he was like, I'm two, three. You know, it, how many plumbers are there in the world? A few hundred thousand, probably, um, in the whole world. It's, it's a lost, um, bit of information that's down to that it almost is that priestly sect now um i don't know how to fix the plumbing in my house i can i can unplug a drain but anything more than that i have to call a priest who charges me a fortune <laughs> to come out and ball. do it right yeah and he, he <laughs> does an incantation and he sticks his magic thing up in there and suddenly my toilets flush and and it's almost like that figure another hundred years that's going to become even more specialized um, and it will do that. And that's just the way things go. The more they become infrastructure, the less people know about them. Yep. <laughs> Reminds me of a story uh, Richard Feynman, the famous physicist, would tell and about when he was at Los Alamos. And I'll, I'll make it quick. He had a whole – just a thirst for knowledge. And he so he got into safe cracking and figuring out how to break into locks just to know how to do it. And he figured out that if he – if he knew two numbers of a, uh, he could figure out on these filing cabinets, they had all the secrets of the of the bomb in at Los Alamos. That if you 
if you had a, the, the filing cabinet open, you could turn the knob and you could feel where the little the rod inside of it bounced up and down. You could find the last two numbers. There was only 20 first numbers to try. So once you knew the last two numbers, it took like 30 seconds to unlock it. And he would go back and write them down <laughs> in his room. So finally, he had a list of the last two numbers of every filing cabinet in all of Los Alamos. And people knew that he could get into them. Instead of calling a locksmith, they would call him. And he would say, I need to go get my tools. And he would go to his room and get the notepad with all the numbers on it and a screwdriver that he put in his pocket so it looked like he did something. And he would go back <laughs> to the room and he'd say, I need you to be out of here so I can concentrate. And not everybody needs to know how to do this. You know, we want to make sure this stays secure. And he'd go over and he'd try the 20 different combinations. He'd unlock it and he'd sit there and read a magazine for 20 minutes. Then he'd come out wiping his brow like he'd <laughs> done all this hard work. You know, and it's the same kind of thing. It was it's a hilarious story, but anyway. Yeah, Rateo in the chat room says it's uh, it's all about division and specialization. It says the more there is to know, the less each member of a group will know about it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that's true. There was a time, you know, back around the days of Ben, uh, not Ben Franklin, but uh, uh, Leonardo Newton. da Vinci and Isaac Newton and those guys. It was possible for a human to know all that was known. And, uh, you know, uh, da Vinci was one of those guys. He knew everything there was to know at that time in history. Uh, that. I won't say can't ever happen again, but it would take a nuclear event for that to ever happen again. We would have, have to, to lose a spider. We'd have to lose a lot of knowledge. We had to lose well, I thought you were meaning you have to get bit by a radioactive spider no, and become yes. super smart. Um, and and I then that's a, a a valid concern. What happens if you know a giant meteor uh, bombs us back to the Stone Age? Uh, we lose the people who have that knowledge, and we really have to start over again. Yeah, your iPad. Who, who's to say that hasn't happened before? Your iPads won't work because all that knowledge is stored somewhere else. The right. us Linux people who have everything local, <laughs> we will rule the world. Yeah, if you've moved to the cloud, you're in trouble. I don't know if you can see it over my shoulder, but just over Tony's uh, shoulder back here on the wall, the lower of the two comics is Iron Man number 150. And Doctor Doom and Iron Man get sent back to King Arthur times. And oh, basically Tony Stark has to, has to go from, you know, the, the Iron Age uh, up to modern technology to be able to make a transistor to repair his armor so he can make a time machine to come back to modern times. And so there's a whole thing about them. You know, doing things to be able to make this one transistor and all this kind of stuff. I, th I think it's a transistor. I haven't read it in a while, and, and it's framed now, so I won't be writing it in a while. Either, read it again. But yeah, there's that's well, that's Back to the Future Three, right? He he couldn't make a vacuum tube because he was in the world, the old west. That's right. It's been so long since I've seen that. I've forgotten that they stole that from Iron Man 150 that came out first. Uh, <laughs> everything, every good thing's been stolen from the comic books. Haven't you figured that out yet? There's a new J.J. Abrams series coming out uh, called Revelation Re Revolutions, I think, or something like that. It's going to be this basic premise. If electricity ceased to exist, wow. what would happen? After the giant EMP pulse wipes everything out? Man, that, I, life would suck. It really, yeah, it really uh, make our podcast kind of... Right. Um, and if you, want to go, if you want to be super conspiracy theory, for those out there who are wearing their tinfoil hats while they listen to this, uh, I'm beaming my thoughts into your brain right now. <laughs> I figured out a way around that. But, uh, you know, we still don't know how to build a pyramid the way they were built before. We know how to do it with cranes and with, uh, you know, portable smelting pots. But we don't know how to do it the way they did it. We so, know for sure. Yeah, there's so lots there's, of talk about the the sand ramps and the. Right. How do we know they didn't have so, cranes? That's all I want to so know. So really, there's there's two the aliens took the cranes with them. Yeah, there's two possibilities: either the aliens did it, or there's knowledge that was lost. 
yeah. that other people knew how to do it, that knowledge was lost. Or both. And we haven't regained it yet. Uh, yeah, or both. Or the aliens did it and then took the knowledge no. back. Well, out of our heads. We didn't have tinfoil at the time. is the mother of invention. And so, you know, we don't need And laziness to, is the father. Yeah, we don't yeah, need to right. know how to do it because we have this giant crane that... Um, yeah, I saw a cool Discovery show, uh, Discovery Channel show one time, and this guy put up a couple of uh, Stonehenge-sized triptychs by himself. Losttech.com. Right. With a shovel and a, a couple of logs and a cantilever. And um, by digging a hole under the one end of it and rolling it over with a log and just dropping it. I mean, it was pretty impressive. That was actually my okay. tip of the Took week a while, a while back. Um, how to build Stonehenge on your own with a shovel and a log? It was um, it was called Lost Technology or Forgotten Technology or something like that. It was a a website, and this it shows this guy. You know, he has these things, and with he uses um, buckets of water, and he moves it on one side, puts a log in, moves everything, and it and he seesaws it up. Pretty cool stuff. All right, so before we degenerate into X-Files territory, let's go ahead and move on to our tips of the week. Uh, and so, Seth, we'll let you go first. What is your end-user tip for this week? Well, with the flack you gave me last time, I made it totally Linux-centric, uh, linux-drivers.org. So if you want to know, is there a Linux driver for this particular piece of software or, or hardware or a peripheral, um, you can go to linux-driver.org and take a look and see what's there. All right. And Chris, since you weren't here last week, uh, Door stepped in and gave you our uh, gave a command line tip for you. So what have you got for us this week for our command line tip of the week? Well, I'm going to start a flame war and draw a line in the sand and say my tip of the week today is Vi. Yuck. Boo. <laughs> Boo Vi. Emacs. Emacs rules. No, it's Vi. Vi is the king. No, anyway, Vi is the first command line text editor I've ever learned to use. And I don't use it to its full extent. I admit to that. But when I need to do something when I'm SSH'd or, or just in the command line working with files, it's Vi every time. So uh, I also put up here a, a cheat sheet for those that need to learn how to maneuver in Vi. So if uh, we'll put that in the show notes. But uh, Vi is a simple command. It's easy to remember, and it's super powerful. So... Take a look. Easy to remember. Yeah, it's easy to remember to type Vi. After that, you're hosed. <laughs> no, it is, and it's actually quite easy. I for insert the text. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not that hard. Right. Control K Q X S or whatever to get out. Yeah, it's awesome. It's wonderful. I love it. Um, there's even a GUI version if you really want to have your uh, Vi with you, no matter what inter interface you're in, called Vim. So yeah, it's awesome. It is not well, here's gooey my enough for the gooey kid. <laughs> here's my cheat sheet for Vi. It's called G-Edit. That's my cheat sheet for Vi. But you can't G-Edit when you're SSH'd over to a machine. I can on the machine I'm on. Yes, I can. <laughs> not unless you're forwarding X. But anyway, that's that's <laughs> over and above what this is for is about. But anyway, the cheat sheet... No, I, I have definitely... I have definitely used Vi in the past, and if you have to, if you absolutely have to, you got to have a Google how to use Vi in one window and your SSH terminal in the other. Well, or you just have this cheat sheet that is on my uh, in my list, and you know what? Like it, love it, lump it, whatever. 
Vi will save you more often than anything else if you know how to use it. And it's on every system. Yep, exactly. It's always there. You never have to wonder, is is it K-edit or is it G-edit or whatever it is? Um, or is Nano installed? Because Nano is not always installed. So Vi will save you no matter what. All right. That that may be the geekiest one you've ever done. <laughs> so thanks for that. I can't wait. Now, Aaron, to wrap up the show, you have an announcement slash question for our audience. Yeah. Um, I am. It, it's with much uh, sadness in my heart. I have to say that this is my last regularly scheduled uh, Everyday Linux appearance. I am currently on. I host my own podcast each week called One Meal, One Workout. You probably heard me mention that before. If this isn't your first time to be on here, I also uh, am a regular uh, contributor to the periodic table on Thursday nights. And then Everyday Linux was my third uh, weekly podcast that I was doing. Just bought a house, a lot of responsibilities at work. Um, and so something kind of has to give. And so after discussing it with Mark, uh, I feel like this is where I need to bow out. I'm still maybe coming back periodically to, to jump in and say hi because I love hanging out with these guys and hanging out with you and uh, seeing your funny comments in the chat room, like in which century that Roteo said back to. Uh, Chris after he said it saves you every time and he says in which century I thought that was pretty funny but uh, so anyway I'm just uh, here to say thanks for letting me be a part of the show guys it was a lot of fun and, and I won't be a stranger by any means but the question I have is uh, I guess from from all of us to the listeners out there is do we need to bring in uh, the role of the noob do we need to have another noob a new noob do we need an additional resource expert person should we have a rotating noob of the month that just commits for a week because uh, you know a year commitment which is about how long i've been on the show is a big commitment it takes a lot of time away from family and things and so that's kind of the question to the chat room for those of you out there listening or if you want to email in a thought or uh, or um, suggestion maybe you want to be that noob or maybe you want to be that person um there's a there's a rigorous screening process that requires sending mark an email and saying can i help <laughs> Yeah, and so we'll call this an open casting call. If you would like yeah. to be the fourth leg of the table for uh, Element OP's uh, only Linux podcast, uh, let me know. Uh, maybe you're out there. Maybe you've listened to the show every week and you've thought, man, I'd love to be on that. Well, here's your chance. We're, we're kicking Aaron out, and uh, you can join in. But um, just be warned, when uh, Aaron decides he wants to come back, we're going to kick you out. So, uh, you know. <laughs> That's, you, just, that's just the way it is. He gets dibs. He called shotgun and, uh, and that's shotgun infinity. <laughs> and if you want to like, I want to be on there for one month, you know? Uh, right. Yeah. So yeah, as always, we are looking for, uh, input from our audience. What do you, the audience want, uh, from us and how can we best meet your needs? And the way you let us know that is you go to elementop.com. There is a contact us button at the top of the page. There is a leave us a voicemail uh, form on the side of the page. Or if you click up at the top, there's a forum there and you can go to the Everyday Linux forums and make your uh, comments there. And we always uh, read those. The things that come straight to me, I forward on to the others. The things that are in the forum for everybody to see, we all read. We're, uh, we anxiously await your feedback. We do read it. We try to respond to it. And uh, sometimes we uh, pass around your stuff and laugh at it. Uh, and so, you know, we appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, elementop.com is the place to contact us. And also check out some of the other podcasts there. Check out Aaron's uh, One Meal, One Workout podcast. I, I'm almost willing to guarantee 
that there are no listeners to this show that are uh, their perfect uh, height, weight, ratio that are healthy marathon runners uh and and also listeners to this show i i would almost be willing to to make that a, a concrete statement but i'm doing good i've lost a tenth of me uh, well, there awesome you go. Wow, that's that's really good. Good. and i'm just i'm overwhelmed by the number of people in the chat room that are saying we're going to miss you aaron right now i'm just choked up over it <laughs> Uh, and That'd all the zero the private chats that mark and seth and and chris are sending me guys it's okay i'm not going anywhere i'll still be around it's all right we love you Aaron. It, was been fun. it was fun we love this you, show man. would not have been what it has been for the last year without you so we do appreciate that and uh but uh, it's been fun it really is you'll have to check him out on the periodic table where he is uh uh, not the noob, but uh, a full-on equal share co-host. <laughs> I'm equally responsible for that. <laughs> that whatever it is. That travesty. Oh, funny, funny. And uh, guys, any last words of wisdom before we say goodnight? Pie is good. Pie or square. Cake is better. <laughs> the cake is a lie, Aaron. That's right. Oh, okay. And on that note, I will say that that ends this episode of... Everyday Day